electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hello, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. And once again, for Kelly Evans, here is what is ahead. Inflation is cooling and stocks are heating up. A key piece of data suggesting the Fed may start to back off the Fed rate hike gas pedal. We'll take a look at where we can go from here and how to position now. Plus, crypto chaos, FTX reportedly on the brink and its founder facing all kinds of questions. It is hitting the entire crypto world, but is the worst now behind us or maybe still to come? And just how much are rising rates hitting housing? We are going to look west with the CEO of one of Seattle's biggest banks, who's actually live right here in studio. All that and much more ahead. But we begin where else with this big inflation fueled rally. But it's an inflation fueled rally that's kind of a good inflation fueled rally because inflation actually cooled down just a bit. Still red hot historically, but the trend is what the market looked for. And this is turning out to be a massive day for the bulls, particularly on the tech side. And by the way, a reminder of why it's so key to not try to time the market, right? You want to be in the market every day because you're going to have days like this that kind of come out of nowhere. Anyway, the S&B and the NASDAQ are on pace for their best day in two years. The NASDAQ is up five and a half percent. In fact, numerically, the NASDAQ not up as much as the Dow, but it's not far off. The Nasdaq's up 576 points every se- on a market like this. Obviously, every sector is trading higher, led by consumer discretionary, real estate, tech, whatever you name it, it's up. Speaking of tech, big caps really taken off. You know the names. Amazon, Alphabet, Apple, Microsoft. Look at this. Amazon is up almost 11%. Microsoft up 6%. Alphabet and Apple up 6 and 6.5%. Some of the biggest gains in years. Semiconductor stocks also being bid up AMD, NVIDIA, Western Digital, all with 9 plus percent, actually 10, 12 percent for AMD. I mean, is this sustainable? Well, we don't know. That's going to be the question. There's probably a little computer action thrown into this as well, unless investors just see their business 12 percent better because of a slightly lower inflation reading. I'll let you be the judge on that. On the flip side of equities, yields, they're going down at one point. A 10-year yield was down 30 basis points. We're back under 4%, 3.84%. There's this inflation print right here. Whee! It's like that guy from The Price is Right, if you went over, the Alpine guy. And then, you know, anyway. Crypto is actually following all this bullishness despite the FTX drama. Bitcoin, it is back above 17,000. It's up four, call it 5%, 792 to 17, 281. Completing the hat trick or the quad trick, quadrophenia, whatever. Commodities are also moving higher. Oil, natural gas, gold, palladium. Basically, it is the everything rally redux. There we go. All right, let's talk about it all now. Joining us to kick off the hour is Brian Railing. He is global head of fixed income strategy at Wells Fargo Investment Institute and Keith Fitzgerald, principal at the Fitzgerald Group. Keith, I will start with you. I'm not being cynical about the rally. It is a good day in what has been a tough year, but I just wonder if stocks deserve have deserving got nothing to do with it if stocks should be moving up this much 
on a slightly lower inflation number? Well, should be in RR2, obviously very different questions. You know, this is something that's very interesting to investors because there will be no warning bell when the Fed lets off or inflation begins to moderate. So what you're seeing today is par for the course. People want in, they want good news to actually be good. So I love what I'm seeing. Whether it sticks or not is a different question. Brian, what do you think? Will this stick? Has inflation peaked? Will the Fed turn dovish? I mean, I don't think the Fed's turning dovish. I think inflation has peaked. Uh, but, um, you know, this is going to be uh, an up and down process. But, you know, I think we're in the process of finding the peak in yields. So, um, you know, I think overall, yeah, good news. But no, this isn't just smooth sailing. Yeah, I, I should probably get the word dovish out of our lexicon because it's like a, there's a big difference between a hawk and a dove. There's falcons. There's owls. You know, other birds of prey. I mean, the Fed is still going to raise rates in December. Are they not, Keith? Well, I think so. I mean, look at it this way. The Fed got transitory wrong. The Fed has gotten this wrong. So why on earth are we even looking to what the Fed's going to do? They have a history of overshooting. So I think that's a foregone conclusion. Personally, what I'd like to do, especially on days like today, is pick those strong names, look for the CEOs that are putting numbers up on the table and who are already ahead of where this is going. Guys, sit tight. We're going to come right back to you. We're not letting you go, but we do have an auction on 30-year bonds. Pretty good indicator of demand and where people think inflation may be going. Rick Santelli, how did that 30-year bond auction go? How do you grade it, Professor? Exactly the opposite of yesterday, Sully. Yesterday was a D minus. Today is a solid A. Boy, this is what an auction should look like. And I'll tell you what, when you see yields drop as much as they have prior to the auction, I have to tell you I was a bit surprised at the aggressiveness of investors. So let's go through it. 21 billion 30 years. The yield... 4.08. 4.08. The when issued market yield was hovering at 4.11. So turn the screws three basis points, the exact opposite of tailing, and that's a good thing. And if you look at all the metrics, they were very good. The one that really stuck out, though, was the dealer takedown. Sully, the 10 auction average is 13%. I have 20 years of history here, and I cannot find a better, a smaller takedown by the dealer community. So a solid A, and it really goes a long way in telling us not only do equity investors and foreign exchange investors pay close attention to this morning's numbers, but the aggressive tendencies this auction shows that many investors think that the trend of less inflation most likely will continue. Back to you. Rick, thank you. Not sure I can remember the last time Rick gave anything an A. I mean, who, who knows? Uh, Brian, forget about inflation. Do you think that Yields on the 30 and the 10-year have peaked? I think there's a decent chance they peaked. I think it's a good point to accumulate, maybe not on a day like today uh, where yields have crashed lower. But, you know, I think we'll be back up around the fours. um, And I'd be locking in rates for the long term. I mean, if the Fed gets inflation down, uh, you know, to two and a half or below, you know, a 4% uh, locked in rate is going to look really good. I mean, the best trade back in uh, the early 80s was buying long bonds. I mean, we've come down half a percentage point on the 10-year in a matter of weeks. We, we peaked out at 4.32%. We're at 3.83%. And, you know, Keith, is one of the reasons that we, I mean, listen, we get so obsessive, right, about these little nuanced numbers. But why stock investors care, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that interest rates impact how you discount free cash flow, and they impact valuations. 
So these moves, like 12% jumps in, at you know, AMD, it's a slight valuation shift, I have to imagine. You are absolutely right. And so I would take that one step further because when the cost of capital comes down, it also means that the big money, the computer money, the large hedge funds of the world can get on the gas because they can borrow more and use more leverage. The place that they go right for the jugular vein is going to be the big liquid stuff, the names that everybody's got to have in their portfolios come bonus time at the end of the year. So that's the kind of stuff that on a day like today is really important to watch because it tells you who's got an appetite. And to Rick's point, a lot of people do right yeah, now. and Keith, one more. Do you, do you think this is humans doing this? I mean, this 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 smells like a lot of Wall Street computers. Not taking anything away from how good it feels. Well, I tell you, I've been doing this 42 years at mm. this point. Was there for the early days of computers. They're definitely at hand. They're definitely playing. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But also, there's a lot of individual investors who are waking up and going, you know, I should be in the game. That's the biggest fear is they're not yeah. right now. So you're going to see some FOMO fuel in this, too. And, uh, Brian, what's the next most important thing you're looking for now that the CPI is out of the way? I mean, I think we got a little bit of a runway here. I think the next most important thing is that Fed meeting uh, in uh, December. You're going to get the CPI right during that meeting. And then we're going to get a summary of economic projections. So we're going to get a lot more information uh, coming uh, out of that meeting. Yeah, and that meeting is on December 13th and 14th. Brian and Keith, great stuff. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, we are just getting started here on The Exchange. And coming up, we're going to speak with the co-founder of Tether about all the drama in the crypto world. Plus, how much are higher rates really hitting housing? CEO of one of Seattle's leading banks is here. As we had to break, here's another look at markets with stocks in rally mode. After that inflation data, the NASDAQ is up 600 points, nearly 6%. Take the family to dinner tonight for Pete's sakes. We're back right after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Skip more now on the constantly developing and very important story around the collapse of crypto exchange FTX and its hedge fund Alameda Research. The CEO out this morning with a long and often rather bizarre tweet thread this morning saying a lot of stuff, and including, quote, I blanked up. Now, multiple reports are saying FTX used customer funds to make risky investment bets. 
Let's take a look at what FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried actually said on the record to Congress just a few months ago. Listen. If you look at what precipitated some of the 2008 financial crisis, you saw a number of bilateral, bespoke, non-reported uh, transactions happening between financial counterparties, which then got repackaged and re-leveraged again and again and again, such that no one knew how much risk was in that system until it all fell apart. If you compare that to what happens on FTX or other major cryptocurrency venues today, there's complete transparency about the full open interest. There's complete transparency about the positions that are held. There is a robust, robust, consistent risk framework applied. And we're excited to work with the CFTC on our uh, U.S licensed and regulated venue um, to bring a lot of this uh, to U.S. customers as well. That was in late 2021. And then a few months later, maybe a year later, they announced that a former CFTC commissioner was going to join their board. Reeve Collins is co-founder of Tether, and he joins us now. There's still a lot we don't know. Uh, Bankman Freed speaking to Congress right there, saying transparency, transparency, transparency. Take from it what you will. What is your take right now on the FTX situation and Sam Bankman-Fried personally? Well, on the situation overall, it really is a crippling blow to the crypto industry. It, it, at, at of all times for it to take place, especially during the midterms when crypto regulation is kind of top of mind already and where Sam Bankman-Friedman teed himself up to be the go-to advisor for a lot of the regulators and kind of the champion of regulation in the space for him to implode like this, it, it's really a devastating blow. And as you can see from the markets, it's having a great impact. Yeah, and it's and it's reducing confidence. I think this is a fair statement, reducing confidence across the entire ecosystem, including Tether, the stable coin that you co-founded. What's your response to what would you say to Sam Bankman Fried if you were in the same room with him right now? Well, I think everyone wants to know how he could possibly let it get this far out of hand. Some of the, but, but I want everyone to know and realize it's still a lot of speculation. We're getting all of this news in real time. And most of these of this news is coming from rumors. We don't really know the true story and everyone loves to speculate. It becomes much more sensationalized that way. And so we still need a few more days for this to play out to really understand what happened. It doesn't mean that he didn't make some really big missteps. And I'm very interested to see what specifically those were and if they are as bad as everyone is speculating them to be. It still is unbelievable that he could put himself in this position. And I am going to ask you to speculate a little bit, Reeve. And, and if you don't know, you don't know and just say that, because the question I've got, I was just on the phone with with our reporter, Kate Rooney, right before the show. And I said, OK, they're claiming eight billion in losses, or at least that's the report. So my question to Kate and, and to you is very simple. What are these eight billion in losses? This is an exchange. I mean, if Uber loses a billion dollars a quarter, I get it because they have operating expenses that are outstripping the revenue. That happens a lot. This is an exchange it's supposed to be asset light. Do you have any idea what these $8 billion of losses actually represent? Again, there's a lot of speculation, and some of that speculation is that he did use customer funds to bail out Almeida, his essentially hedge fund venture arm. And this is a knockdown effect from the Terra Luna collapse. Brian, I think you did a segment on that earlier. And it had massive um, ripple effect in the industry. And he bailed out Alameda, who was heavily involved in that, uh, in Terra Luna as well. And it seems like this could potentially 
be that he over leveraged himself because they stepped up. They tried to saw, um, save a lot of companies that were impacted by the Terra Luna collapse. And it seems like he just got a little over leveraged and did some things he probably shouldn't have done. I mean, and if and if that is right, and again, this is I want to be clear. We don't know. This is a lot of speculation. We've got a lot of data that everybody's trying to piece together. The DOJ is according to Kate Rooney is going to get involved. If it turns out that there was just good old fashioned losses at Alameda, right, that this guy with an MIT physics degree, maybe and his team just weren't good at investing. We've seen it before. Long term capital management, among others, that if there were just losses that were then backed up by FTT or FTX or Bankman Freed or customer accounts, whatever it might be. In some weird way, would that be a relief to the industry? Because it, it doesn't necessarily mean there is an industry wide contagion that this is just wow. They really blanked up in Bankman Freed's own words. Exactly. And one of the biggest issues is Almeida's balance sheet did hold a lot of FTT token as well as Solana token. And when those imploded and the prices went down, then that was what they were utilizing as collateral. And so they weren't able to, to, to make good on any of the positions that they had in the market. And so that's why he was trying to bail them out. And so, yeah, it, yeah it's really created a lot well, of it issues. It sounds like, <laughs> and I got to go to a movie for this. I'm going to quote the great poet philosopher Tony Montana who in Scarface said, don't get high on your own supply, right? And, 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 if, and if you've got a company that is basically backing up its own assets with its own assets, um, do you wonder, Reeve, listen, you've founded, co-founded Tether, you've, you've worked at Razorfish, you've started companies, probably very well-regulated, heavily regulated companies. Do you wonder how, the, how regulators just miss this? Just well, it's not that they missed it. It's very difficult to regulate. And the regulators are doing their best to educate themselves and ideally make responsible regulations. And, S and Sam Bankman-Friedman was putting himself first and foremost in that space to actually help them regulate and to become the most regulated exchange. So it is devastating that this took place. Um, I do know that it is going to trigger a lot more scrutiny, a lot more regulation. But there are companies like Coinbase and Circle based in the U.S. that are already regulated and they welcome more regulation. Yeah. So they have more clarity. And, and FTX is. And again, this is I'm no expert on crypto. I think I'm a pretty good expert on financial markets and, and human behavior, having done this for 25 years. Not a crypto. So if I ask a stupid question, I apologize. Did FTX buy a lot of Tether? Right. They did as a stable coin backup or no. I'm, yes, they absolutely had a tether on their balance sheet. Do we know the status of those stable coins? The status of tether? So, yeah, on the FTX balance sheet, assuming uh, they're still know. there. I, I don't know the, the status of the FTX balance sheet. Yeah, no. well, I, I think nobody does, Reeve, and I think that's kind of what we're all trying to figure out. And before we let you go, because there's a lot of our viewers, for them, they hear the lingo, it's a very jargon-heavy industry. I've screwed up on it many times. Explain to them, in just clear layman's terms, the difference between what Tether is, a stable coin, and what an FTT is. Because we're learning that FTT may not have had anything behind it, but vapor. Exactly. So the promise of Tether is that it has a one-to-one -one reserve. The elegance of Tether's business model is in its simplicity. You put $1, we take it, we put it in the bank, create a token and issue that token. That token now works on a blockchain and it's always redeemable for that dollar. 
Now, you might have heard that Tether depegs or that people are shorting Tether. That is on third-party exchanges because Tether trades on these exchanges and there's lots of demand and lots of sell pressure. It goes down to 98, 97 cents. Lots of buy pressure goes a dollar or two. That's why people will put these massive shorts. They put a $100 million short, you might hear in the news, because that makes for great news. But he puts a $100 million short because he might make 1%. But at the end of the day, you can always redeem that tether at tether.to, at the corporate website. That's why it's always pegged to a dollar. Tether cannot depeg. It's only on the third-party exchanges. FTT was another type of stable coin that Sam tried to create that wasn't one-to-one backed to dollars. He created other assets and other mechanisms to try to peg it, similar to Terra Luna. And those are experiments, and they, they've failed. The only one that's battle-tested and tried and true is the one that's super basic. Put the money in the bank and issue a token, and it's always going to be one-to-one. So you feel confident to say co-founder Tether, this is not an FTT situation, that there's that viewers and investors have to know the difference between all of these cryptos. And there are critical yes. differences. There are. And that's the problem. People get excited and they get caught up in the hype and they hear that this token's taking off. And so they all pile in. So at some point in time, it is like gambling. They follow the sentiment and they get in and they yep. just need to get out before it collapses and, until they find the ones that have the true value like Bitcoin, like Ethereum, like tokens that have real utility and usefulness instead well, of these mean tokens. Yeah. And, and tokens they created, you know, out of thin air and then apparently backing up their own assets. Reeve Collins, really appreciate you clearing it up. Coming on. It's a tough day. Crypto's higher, by the way. Reeve, thank you very much. All right, programming note, next hour, do not miss Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong. He's going to sit down with Andrew next hour on Power Lunch. Obviously, there's a lot more to talk about, a lot more to dissect. Coinbase stock has been hit. That's a big interview, 2.30 Eastern time today. All right, coming up, forget the old woman who lived in a shoe. Whatever happened to her anyway? How about a living proof of a 3D printed home? It's not fantasy. It's real. And Diana Olick will show it to you next. And now, CNBC Trend Tracker. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Do not adjust your dial if you're waking up. You're in like Hawaii or Guam or something. This is actually happening with the markets. The Nasdaq's up 600 points, nearly 6%. Dow kind of lagging, but still two and a half point gain. One of the best days in years for the markets on that just slight, I mean, a slightly lower inflation. Food was still up in price, 
But used cars came down, so everything's fine. Market's rallying. All right, as you might imagine, a lot of stocks that are on the move right now. Here are a few key ones. Kathy Wood's flagship ARK Innovation ETF having its best day ever, going all the way back to its inception in 2014. You got a bunch of companies there. Look at Unity, Invitae, Pacific Biosciences. But the ARK Innovation ETF, which has had a rough run and got a lot of attention the last couple of years, is up 12% right now. Still nearly 80% off its record high, but today it's a good day. All right, the Wisdom Tree Cloud Computing ETF also having its best day ever. More than half its components are up double digits, including names like Cloudflare, Shopify, and Block. And check out some of the names hitting new all-time highs. O'Reilly Automotive, Raymond James, Progressive, Lithium Company, Albemarle, and W.W. Granger. What's not going up today? Really just the dollar index is pretty much it. It's down right now. The inflation number is crossing. The dollar index on pace for its worst day. Going all the way back to December of 2015, a lot of superlatives today. You know who else is superlative? Tyler Matheson, and he's got a CNBC News update. Right back at you, Brian. Thanks. Here's your CNBC update at this hour. While vote counting continues in key races across the country, the top candidates in Georgia's Senate race are already positioning for their December 6th runoff election. In a new memo, Democrat Raphael Warnock's team laid out their strategy for next month, including attacking the Republican rival Herschel Walker as, quote, completely unqualified. Republicans starting to rally behind Walker as a new wave of fundraising kicks off. An update on the human toll of the Russian war in Ukraine. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, said yesterday that well over 100,000 Russian soldiers have been killed or wounded in the nine months of the war. Milley added that there could be as many as 40,000 Ukrainian civilian casualties. And the IRS and DOJ are both asking the Supreme Court not to block a request for former President Trump's tax returns. Democrats from the House Ways and Means Committee were temporarily blocked earlier from receiving the returns while the Supreme Court decides, Brian, how to proceed. Back to you. All right, Tyler, thank you very much. All right, up next, consumer spending, mortgage rates, loan demand. We're going to look at the latest trends on Main Street and what it all means for the health of the economy. The CEO of WAFED here from Seattle. On, he walked all the way here. We're back with him. Coming up next. Stick around. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. And yeah, a big-time stock market rally. The Nasdaq is up nearly 6%. It all is all in that slightly lower inflation data and some high hopes for a Fed soon to turn, I don't know, maybe dovish. Speaking of the Fed, we are getting some new headlines from Fed Governor Esther George. Steve Leisman has those details. Steve. Thanks very much, Brian. Esther George, the Kansas City Fed president, looked at the uh, inflation numbers this morning and said, Monetary policy clearly has more work to do. She said inflationary pressures have yet to let up. Monetary policy and financial conditions must continue to tighten, according to Esther George. Joining others, by the way, who have made similar comments in the wake of that better-than-expected inflation report, she goes on to say higher inflation expectations point to a need for considerably higher rates uh, and that the impetus for inflation has changed from being 
initially about uh, uh, moved by goods prices. Now it's moved by tight labor markets. She is seeing a little bit of help there, Brian. Some early indications, she says, the labor markets might be cooling. And the one somewhat dovish thing she says, but this goes back a ways. She says that a more measured approach to rate increases may be particularly useful. She had been opposed to those 75s, but clearly Esther George, who has long been hawkish, uh, continues to be so and sees a need for higher rates, as have several other Fed speakers today, Brian. But that has had little uh, impact, it would appear, on the market. And, and I heard you making that point rather emphatically. I think it was on halftime today with Scott, Steve, which is basically like, OK, let's feel good. Maybe we didn't get the 8 percent number, but by no means it's like the market's acting like inflation is over. Right? It's gone. Everything's fine. No, yeah. it's not. I mean, look, Brian, here's the thing. We're closer to the 9% peak than we are to the 2% goal. So if you're looking at this like a climb up or down a mountain, we are certainly, uh, you know, uh, closer to the top than we are to, to getting back to base camp. Yeah. And, and when is our next big, do we know when our next big Fed speaker is? Because we know outside of Powell, the market sort of huh. ranks and has, you know, they, they listen to some more than others. Hold on, Brian. I know you're going to ask me that. Hold I think you're going to ask me, like, maybe talk about the next big uh, 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 number here. In Will terms the Bills of... cover against the Vikings this weekend? How about that, Steve? <laughs> Could I ask you that, I, Mr. I Buffalo? Think, I, think, I think the big story, Brian, is going to be the December jobs report, and I think it's going to be that inflation report that comes the day before the Fed meeting. But I'm looking here in terms of the Friday schedule. We've got a boatload of folks talking. I don't have anybody. I don't even know what I'm going to do with myself tomorrow, Brian. I don't have any Fed speakers Tomorrow, maybe I'll try to read them all again and see what it's saying to us. Because I am seeing a bit of a split, Brian, on the FOMC here. Very, very minor about those who are a little bit more worried about doing too much versus those like yep. uh, Mester, who spoke earlier, and she's worried, more worried about doing too little. No Fed speakers is the new day off. Steve Leesman, enjoy yourself. You Thanks, know, Brian. drape you yourself too. in velvet. Steve, thank you very much. And by the way, no, ensconced in velvet. Yeah, there you go. And no, ensconced. That's it. No, they won't. By the way, the Vikings will cover. All right. Speaking of the Fed and rate hikes, how much are these higher rates hitting housing? Here to talk about an exchange exclusive is the president and CEO of Wafed Bank, Brent Beardall. Wafed is one of the Seattle area's largest banks. You came a long way to see us. And we appreciate it. You know, Brian, it is great to be here in person with you. Thank well, you. Well, let's say that after the interview. Um, your area had one of the hottest housing markets in America. I mean, like literally Amazon and Microsoft employees trampling each other mm -hmm. to put all cash bids on on homes, $100,000 over asking. Now the numbers are down 70% on mortgage origination? Yes, sir. That doesn't sound good. You no, know, it's not good, but it's healthy. Quite frankly, it is. It, it, it was too hot, Brian. I mean, things went too far too fast. And if you take mortgage rates a year ago, mortgage rates were what, three and a half percent? And now they're seven, seven and a half percent. So that's going to happen. But what I keep telling people is don't forget, there is more cash sitting on the sidelines today than there has ever been. And I think, I think people are waiting for a correction and then they'll, they'll gobble them up. I don't feel like we're at risk. Today in the housing market, the same way we were going into the 08-09 Do you recession. think the risk was greater when housing just, and, I, and I'm sorry to use this term because I'm not very bright, just stupid. Housing got stupid in many areas, right? It, 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 People it, putting in $100,000 bids without ever seeing the home, no contingency, right? That was shades of 2007. And that's in some markets. That's my point. It's healthy, right? Because it was stupid. We need things to cool down so we don't have those irrational buyers. When do you think we'll return to, or have we returned to rationality, Brent? 
you know, I think the number this morning, uh, your conversation with Steve earlier, it's, it sounds like things may have turned the corner, but we're still very high on the inflation, right? So yeah. we, to know when we will have turned the corner or when we'll be back there towards normal, it, it, we're trending in the right direction now, which is a positive, as opposed to, hey, if we were going even higher on inflation. So I think that's a positive. Yeah. And I think what you saw this morning is that the market is looking for any shred of positivity to say, hey, it's a buying opportunity. You're a bank. You're, you're a regional bank. And banking, and I mean this as a compliment, Brent, should be boring, right? The idea is you take in deposits, you make loans, you get paid back, and you make a spread on that loan, and then you make a bunch yes. of money for your investors uh, and, and your stock, by the way. Um, are higher rates good for you? Are you seeing a lot of people just put money literally in the bank instead of buying Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah, you know, a, a lot of things to cover there. Let me first say boring is beautiful. We aspire to be boring. There is nothing wrong with that. There's, a, there's enough excitement in everyone's life. If your banking can be boring, that's a wonderful thing. And uh, spreads are up, not just for WAFED, but for regional banks and banking in general, which is a good thing. Because of the actions of the Fed, when they took rates to nearly zero, all bank margins got compressed. So now they're trending back to where it's a healthy level again. So I think that's a real positive. Yeah, and are people putting, literally putting money in Fed and buying c- CDs? I mean, certificates. To buy. It's hard. to. We haven't talked about this in decades. Yeah, the CDs actually pay a reasonable return at this point. No, what's, what's a return? What could I get on c- one-year money, yeah, six-month money. You know, the CDs tend to go, you know, with treasuries. So you've, you've got, you know, the you know, one-year treasury in the 4% range. So typically you'll see CDs, you know, ranging from 3% up to those treasury rates. That doesn't seem too bad these days. No, Considering the stock market, even with today, is down big this year. But, but the, the other thing to consider, though, is just the immense amount of deposits that f- came into the banks during the pandemic, right, when the government was putting out so much uh, stimulus out there. So you had nearly $4 trillion of deposits that came into banks in the United States. Wow. $4 trillion. So the banks are all flush with deposits, right? So now actually we're seeing net outflows as people say, hey, there are other opportunities out there, which is not necessarily a bad thing. We wonder why there was inflation. We had supply issues. And oh, $4 trillion just thrown in to the bank accounts of Tens of millions of Americans. Turns out supply and demand is true. It actually works. Milton Friedman somewhere is smiling. Brent, really appreciate it. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for the opportunity. And by the way, bringing our old friend and colleague Brad Good is here with you. Did you see what he did? He looks good. He looks younger than he did when he was on air here. Did you see what he did to the markets this morning? That's it. Brad Good, Brad Good walked into the building. And the stock market took off. Brad, come over. I mean, everybody knows Brad. Brad, it's great to have you. Hey, Look at this. You. you want to just take over good the anchor yeah, here? I, I, it feels like old days be back in here in the CNBC studio. You do that, a great job. Well, thanks Thank for you. the market rally today. You walk, well, come back more often. You know, you bring a West Coast bank in and good things happen. <laughs> good things happen. There we go. And I got to get one of these Wafed green ties. We'll, get you, we'll get you. Great back. with my eyes, Brent. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Brad, all right, coming up on Mad Money tonight. Here's a big one. Goldman Sachs CEO, that's a bank, Brent. Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon's on with Jim, 6 p.m. Eastern tonight. All right, still ahead on this show, the ITB Home Construction ETF up more than 10% right now on pace for the best day since April 2020. Oh, and by the way, speaking of housing, would you live in a house made from a giant printer? We're not kidding. It's real. And Diana Olick apparently has, like, visuals of this. The magic of TV, Diana. 
That's right, Brian. In fact, I've seen one-offs of 3D printed homes before, but never anything at this size and scale. We'll tell you why a major builder, Lennar, is betting big on this coming up next on The Exchange. All right, welcome back. Let's talk housing. The builders, by the way, their stock's up double digits right now. And while interest rates get all the attention lately, there is another big issue in the business. That is labor, or rather lack thereof. So at least one home builder is turning to something else to maybe solve that problem, and that is really gigantic printers. Diana Olick is live in Georgetown, Texas, with that story, How Do You Print a Home? Well, Brian, I'm going to show you these are the massive 3D printers, which are literally doing the job of more than a dozen construction workers. As I said, we've seen one-offs before on 3D printed homes, but never anything like this. They're squeezing out homes at a rate of one every two weeks. 3D printed homes in the first ever full-scale 3D community from a national home builder, Lennar. I mean, this is the first 100 homes, but we expect to be able to bring this to scale. And at scale, we really bring cycle times down and we also bring costs down. Lennar is partnering with Icon, which has printed a half dozen homes here in Texas and in Mexico, but nothing like this. This system is designed to operate 24 hours a day so that as you look out at the whole community, this is a factory. It's a portable factory that we brought here with a fleet of printers. To build 100 homes ranging from 1,500 to 2,100 square feet and starting in the mid $400,000 range. We select the print job that we want. We press print. And right now it only takes about three people per home to build the wall systems that include mechanical, electrical and plumbing. And as the technology improves, I think the sort of holy grail is where one person can watch a dozen systems. So not only is it incredibly efficient to build these homes, they are incredibly sturdy because they're made out of solid concrete. That makes them weather resilient, wind resistant, water resistant, termite resistant, mold resistant. And everybody asks me, Brian, what does it feel like? It feels like concrete corduroy. But you can literally tell the printer to do anything you want, whether it's the kitchen island or where to put the outlets. You just put it into the laptop and it prints what you want. So. I have to say, I do think what they're doing here on this scale could be construction of the future. Brian? Really cool. I mean, it, it kind of looks like taffy, like you're living in a, a taffy home, but I, I guess it's stronger than that. Uh, is there a, we've been talking about inflation all day, Diana, so I'm sorry to throw this on you. Is there an inflationary aspect to this? I mean, I, I imagine those materials are pretty, pretty commodity price sensitive. Well, absolutely. Look, it's cement and concrete. And so it's going to be cheaper in the building process, anywhere from 10 to 30 times cheaper. Now, these homes are starting in the 400, mid $400,000 range, anywhere from three to four bedrooms, two to three bathrooms. They are more expensive because Lennar is putting all kinds of high-end fixtures into them, solar on the roof. They're going to do high-end cabinets. But a home like this could be anywhere from 10 to 30% cheaper than a comparable constructed home. And on the labor side, of course, you're doing it two to three times faster with really just two or three guys on each home. Wow, that, that is something else. And the future is here. Diana Olick, very cool. It is. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, still ahead. Lots more on this massive market rally. What names have the best setup to ride this move even higher? We have got some names for you with the Dow up big, but the NASDAQ up 6%. Wow. 
Stick around. In case you missed it, we got a big and broad-based rally underway as inflation comes in tamer than expected. But when the sort of softer inflation euphoria fades, and it will, what stocks will hold? Let's bring in Nancy Tangler, CEO and CIO of Laffer Tangler Investments. Today's a great day. Not take anything away. But don't tell me a couple tenths of a percent drop in inflation data when some numbers actually went up is going to cause the NASDAQ to go up 6%. Well, I think in the near term, Sully, we both know that the algos are in charge. Uh, they they run the day-to-day volatility, uh, but they create opportunities for those of us who are long-term investors uh, and that give, gives us the opportunity to step in and buy some really great companies at depressed prices. So I, none of us love volatility, but there is uh, a silver lining. Yeah, there is. And it. I think and I, the point I tried to make at the top of the show, I'm not giving advice. I'm just looking at historical data is that like half the long-term market gains over 20 and 30 years come from being invested on just a few days, do they not? Like one or two days a year can double your returns over the long haul. Today's a great example of that. No, that's true. We, we, we actually sent that chart to our clients recently as, oh. as people got a little bit antsy. Um, but, but I think it's important to, to remember, too, that, yeah, it was only a two-tenths move in core inflation, but we think we hit peak inflation in June. And if you look back historically to 1951, there's a symmetrical relationship between how long it takes for inflation to rise and then how long it takes for it to decline. So we're four or five months into the decline. And peak inflation has always been a good place to buy stocks. If you look at the average annual return uh, after peak inflation, it's, it's markets up 12 months later, 13.8%. If you take 2008 out, which you shouldn't, but just illustratively, uh, it, it, that was a year when the market was down 12 months later, uh, but it was up 21%. So it's, it's you know, this isn't going to go on forever. Yep. Every bear market's followed by a bull market. I got some friends watching in Dallas. Gary Glanger, great race car driver, by the way. His mom, Karen, apparently is my fan. I have no idea why. Give them some stock picks. They're sitting there in Dallas. Give them some names that you like right now that they might be able to invest in. All right. Well, the ones for his mom um, would be names, companies, old economy companies that are benefiting from the digital revolution. So a company like Public Storage, which opens, you know, 50 percent of their storage units without ever talking to the customer or CBS, who now has a really robust uh, digital presence. They increase that by a million last quarter to 46 million. Uh, they're making the shift. And then Honeywell, which is kind of a solution and a beneficiary from from digital. Uh, that's a company that beat beat raised and said they're sniffing around for acquisitions. And then for the race car driver, I would say uh, ServiceNow. Gary. Gary. A um, little more octane, ServiceNow. Uh, they they had a fabulous quarter. And these, these stocks have not been trading on the fundamentals. They've been trading on the macro. And I think when when the economy does slow and we, we see that the Fed is going to at least pause, but maybe even ultimately begin to reduce rates again, I think these companies are going to benefit in an outsized manner. So it would be ServiceNow. We've been adding to that Amazon, Microsoft, um, the Palo Alto Networks, which is a stock I've been talking about on this network for, over, I think, three or four years. So they're in the sweet spot of mm-hmm. providing solutions, and that's where we want to be. Very quickly, next most important thing you're watching, data-wise, Fed-wise, is it the meeting, Fed meeting? Um, I think the Fed meeting's priced in. I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to say for the market, that's probably the most important. We're a little bit more focused on um, the, the election, how it finally settles out. 
that's going to have profound implications for uh, the lame duck and uh, yeah. maybe potentially a lot of spending, but also benefit some of the companies we own, like Defense and others, if they do get the the um, defense bill through. Yeah, I mean, amazingly, nothing is settled. The Senate's not settled. There's still hundreds of thousands of votes to count in Arizona. I don't know what they're doing out there, but uh, uh, Nancy Tangler, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sully. All right, still ahead, one data point in today's CPI number, sending that stock sharply higher. It's up 30% right now. What is it? We're going to reveal it and talk about car sales with Phil LeBeau next. One more thing before we go, and that is a glimmer of hope that inflation is fading in the auto market. Used car prices, thankfully, finally on the decline. Philibo tracking it. How much are they down, Phil? 2.4% compared to last month. Now, you might be sitting there saying that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but that is a move that we uh, have been seeing over really the last nine months. Take a look at Edmunds and the report on used car transaction prices. And it's a little hard to see at the end, but yes, that is a decline. We're back at where they were price-wise. Eh, December of last year, just over $30,000, still well above where they were back in October of 2020. The auto dealer stocks, they're off to the races today, along with the rest of the market. Now you've got your traditional new and used uh, dealers like AutoNation, uh, Group One Automotive, Penske Automotive, what we consider the biggest of the big auto dealers. And then you've got others who do a lot of business in the used market. They also sell new, but in the used market, uh, you've got Lithia, Sonic, CarMax. Look at these guys. They've had a nice day today. And then there is the mystery chart that you guys showed going yep. into the commercial break. Carvana, oh. up more than 30% today. Heck of a move, but keep in mind... This is a heavily shorted stock. I think something like 37.5 million shares are shorted. The, the short float is like 39% of the outstanding shares. And while you may say, well, that's a great move today, it's down about 97% compared to where yeah. it was a year ago. So it was due for a bit of a bounce, and they're getting it today. Well, I spent all that money on Jimmy Johnson's sponsorship at IndyCar. Uh, Phil, you referenced used car prices. Are they? And I'm asking for a friend. Yep. <clears throat> Are they coming down at the dealerships or just like at the Mannheim auction? Is the price is like it's a spread both. the price? They're coming okay. down in, in both places, Brian. Yeah, we're starting to see it filter through to the consumer. Not as much as I think people were hoping to see at this point, but they are trending lower. And look, by next month they could be under thirty thousand for an average transaction price. I've been to the Mannheim Auto Auction, hard up against the uh, Pennsylvania Turnpike because my uncle owned a big used car dealership. When is Phil LeBeau going to be live? At the Mannheim Auto Auction. We want to see are, that. We, de- we demand it. The people demand it. Brian, there are fewer. And, I've been to them. There are fewer and fewer. Nowadays, it's the Wild West on the Internet. A car comes up, you're bidding on it, along with dozens of other people around the country. And then you're paying a couple grand to ship it from San Diego to St. Louis or whatever it is. Yeah. But good news on the used car front, thankfully. Philip really appreciate it. All right. I'm not done with you all. Fast Money tonight. Melissa got a well-deserved day off. I will be hosting Fast Money. We'll talk about this market rally. A lot to do. I think I speak for everybody when I say, you're welcome, America. Power Lunch starts right now. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. 
That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash.